Well, hello, everyone. We're back with our next installment in the series, Principles from the Proverbs. And if you'll turn with me to Proverbs 23, we'll get started. Proverbs 23. If you remember last time we met, we had a study on managing material possessions. Now, those material possessions being not only money, uh, but all the things that the Lord blesses us with materially. Now, how are we to be wise in handling our finances? And, and, and what should we do with the resources that God has entrusted us with to best multiply them and enjoy them and ultimately to bring glory to God in the way that we use them? Uh, this week, we're going to deal with some limitations uh, to wealth or prosperity and also some cautions or some warnings that the book of Proverbs gives us in regard to money and material possessions. What may be some things that we need to watch out for uh, so that we don't take a wrong approach or the, have the wrong attitude toward the, this matter of material possessions. Uh, well, before we start our study, why don't we ask the Lord to bless our time in his word today. Lord, we do thank you for this time in your book, the book of Proverbs. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to get a vision of how you want us to use our resources, our money, the material things that you give us, so that we might be cautious, so that we might use them for your honor and for your glory and, uh, and the furtherance of your kingdom. Lord, show us some things today that, uh, that might challenge us and even change us. Bless, it, bless our time together in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, money is always controversial. That goes almost without saying. It's always controversial. Uh, while some segments of society elevate money to the status of a god, others vilify it as the ultimate evil. Now, that's interesting. Here you have two extremes. Most of society, I would think, says wealth is our God. To get wealth is to succeed. And there's a small segment of society that says all wealth is evil. The Bible, however, presents a distinct and balanced view of wealth. Solomon, uh, who is the writer of many of these Proverbs that we're going to read, possessed fabulous wealth by the standards of his day. And yet he understood the dangers of wealth and the necessity of a balanced perspective. Now, please listen carefully here. Let me say this from the very outset. There is nothing wrong with money in your pocket. As long as it never gets into your heart. There is no virtue in abject poverty. And neither is there virtue in fabulous wealth. Virtue and character are matters of the heart, not of the wallet. In other words, it is not a negative thing to have money. It is not a negative thing to have prosperity materially. It's not what you have, but how you handle what you have that's important. Now, for example, uh, let's look at a, a church, a church like ours. Now, some might say, well, the church is, is doing okay financially. We're getting in some good offerings. So maybe we can spend some of that extra money that's coming in for some of these 
little frivolous things, uh, things that are maybe unnecessary. Well, no, you can't. Uh, that is God's money. And we're to be good stewards of every dollar that comes in and to be careful that we do not treat excess as excess. We're to be cautious with it and we're to be good stewards with it. And that's what we aim to do at Fellowship Baptist Church, to be good stewards of the things that he gives us. Now, the Bible teaches some very positive things about wealth. But today, I want to look at some of the limitations of wealth and some of the cautions that come along with it. The Bible does give us cautions about money. Now, listen again. It is not evil to have money in your pocket. It becomes a problem when money gets into your heart. Now, what does the New Testament say? Well, the New Testament does not say that money is the root of all evil. Uh, that is not what the Bible says. In the New Testament, the Bible says that love of money is a root of all evil. It is not the money that is in your pocket, but it's the money, uh, it's when money gets into your heart that it becomes evil. And that's why the Bible gives us some warnings concerning wealth. People today will take the attitude of hey, anything for money, right? Anything to get money. Well, money is certainly not the end goal of everything. Well, let's look. Roman numeral number one. Let's look at some of those limitations of wealth. Uh, what are those limitations? Now, let's look at Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. The Bible says there, do not overwork to be rich. And boy, uh, that's pretty plain, isn't it? Our work and our labor are not with the ultimate goal of being rich. Because of uh, your own understanding, cease. In other words, what he's saying is, be wise enough to cease from your purpose of getting rich. Uh, don't wear yourself out getting rich. Now, why? Verse 5. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. And hey, so, so there you have it. Uh, there is one of wealth's limitations. What are wealth's limitations? Well, let's look at the first one. Letter A. Wealth is temporary and can be easily lost. Wealth is temporary and can be easily lost. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 24. Proverbs 27 verse 24 says there, For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. Is it going to last forever? No, the Bible says. Well, let's look at Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 21. Proverbs 20 verse 21 says, An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. And I'll explain that verse in just a few moments. But let's look at Roman, uh, let's look at one, no, numeral one under letter A. It is proper to have sound and balanced financial goals. It certainly is proper to have sound and balanced financial goals. Let's look again at verse 4 of Proverbs chapter 23. The first part of that verse says this. Do not overwork to be rich. 
This verse does not say that you should not have sound financial goals. The Bible teaches the importance of things like thrift. The Bible teaches the importance of planning. Uh, The Bible says that a righteous man will leave an inheritance to his children's children. If you're going to do that, you're going to have to set some goals and make some plans. It is proper to have sound and balanced financial goals. However, the goal of our labor should not be to be rich. Now, the words rich or wealthy are kind of relative terms. Nelson Rockefeller, the richest man in the world in his day, was asked, how much money is enough money? His answer, just a little bit more. I don't know if there is, uh, if I know anyone who is truly rich. I I really don't know that I do. Uh, I probably know some people who are well off, but in our society, if you're talking about someone who's truly wealthy, Uh, you're probably talking into the multitudes of millions of dollars. And I don't know if I know anybody with that much money. If I do, they're sure doing a good job of hiding that that fact from me. Uh, But rich is a relative term. But when, when becoming rich becomes your goal, your ultimate goal, immediately the permanent and the eternal in your life will be cheated or sacrificed altogether. Now, why? When you make becoming rich your goal, everything else is set aside. Principles, convictions, faithfulness, all of it washed away because wealth becomes the goal. And this is what the Bible says. Do not overwork to be rich. Well, let's look at number two under letter A there. Riches once obtained are difficult to hold. Riches once obtained are difficult to hold. The more money you have, the more pressure you're going to have on your money. And that is the absolute truth. Uh, For example, there were once dreams that you had that uh, now you've come into all this money and now they've become wants and they soon translate into needs. And pretty soon people who are fabulously wealthy find uh, find pressure on their money. They find the pressure of their money disappearing in every direction. And that's why the Bible says riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away. Well, let's look at number three. Earthly riches are painfully temporary. And death is the great equalizer. Yes, death is the great equalizer. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 24 again. Because there it says, again, For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. Every legacy eventually diminishes. Every legacy. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying this. It doesn't matter. Uh, what I have in my bank account today, because one day we'll all be equal. Uh, That will be the day of our death. And some might say, well, but if you don't have enough money, you'll be buried in a pine box. Well, let me tell you something. 
Give me a pine box any day. Why? It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. My earthly body is just a shell. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. My concern is eternity in heaven. Death is the great equalizer when it comes to this. Wealth and riches are not permanent. They are always temporary. Now, let's take a look at Proverbs 20 and verse 21. I promise to get back to this. Uh, So here we are. The Bible says there, an inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. That verse indicates that one who receives an inheritance prematurely And the word begin at the beginning, meaning prematurely or even illegitimately, uh, somehow laying claim to his inheritance early on, perhaps as the prodigal son did, uh, that person who does so will encounter problems. Windfalls are always dangerous, particularly to the immature. And boy, haven't we seen that in our society today? And we've we've seen sports stars these days who've signed million-dollar contracts, rugby league stars, uh, who get that sudden influx of money and and, and, and attention and popularity, and they go out and they uh, spend that money in in all the bars and and having all the parties and getting into trouble and sometimes even being just ushered straight out of the league for their bad behavior. They can't seem to handle the money that they get. And that is what the verse is saying. Sometimes a young person becomes suddenly wealthy. That sudden wealth that is poured upon that young person can and does often destroy the life and is often very fleeting. I think last time I mentioned a study that was done of people who had won fabulous amounts of money in the lottery. And they said for, the most, uh, for most of them, within just a few years, their marriage was destroyed, their family was ruined. And for many of them, they were in bankruptcy after having won all that money. Why? Because a windfall given prematurely without the wisdom to handle it flies away. The Bible says it makes itself wings and flies away. And people often end up in a worse condition than they would otherwise have been. So wealth has limitations. It is temporary and it may be lost easily. Let's look at letter B. Wealth is meaningless in eternity. Wealth is meaningless in eternity. Meaningless. Now let's look at Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 28. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. Now let's look a little bit further up in that same chapter, uh, Proverbs chapter 11. Let's look at verse 4. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 4. And there we read, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So do you see where the emphasis ought to be? Now, listen carefully. If you have money, there is no sin in that. But the emphasis of your life 
must be righteousness. Let's look at number one under letter B. Money is not the ultimate answer. Certainly that's true. Money is not the ultimate answer. The best health care money can buy will not keep someone alive forever. You know, I've heard it said that uh, from some people that if they'd only have enough money, they'd be fine. Well, uh, you, you might have food and clothing for the rest of your life, but it wouldn't assure you'd be fine. And particularly, not in eternity. Money is not the ultimate answer. I mean, have you ever thought of this? Someone says, uh, so-and-so got sick, and if, if they would have had enough money to afford the best doctors, uh, maybe they would have gotten better. Well, maybe they would. Maybe they wouldn't have. Well, maybe they, uh, these doctors would have done a good job. But you know what? You'll go there when you're 70 years old. They may cure you. You get sick again. You've got lots of money. So you go there when you're 80 years old. And they may cure you. Uh, and then you get sick again. You've got lots of money. So you go there when you're 90 years old. And they may cure you. But you know something? They're going to there's going to come a time when no matter how much money you have, they're not going to cure you. You're going to end up facing the great equalizer, and that's death. It means that in the view of eternity, money does not count. And certainly, it doesn't give us any standing with God. Let's look at number two. Wealth does nothing to improve one's standing with God unless that wealth has been consistently used for God and his work. God rewards generosity, not accumulation. God rewards generosity, not accumulation. Now, later, we'll take a brief look at uh, Luke chapter 12, where we find the rich young fool. Now, the rich young fool has stored up uh, all that he's had. He's torn down his barns and he, and he built greater ones. And the Lord said, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. See, there was no good to his money in the end because he accumulated and was not rich toward God. So understand the limitations of wealth. There are limitations to it, but there are also, uh, in the Proverbs, some cautions regarding wealth. And that's Roman numeral number two. What are those cautions regarding wealth? It is possible that wealth can turn some people away from God. Now, consider this, if you will. This is Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. The writer of Proverbs, Solomon, says this. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Now, note that. Neither extreme does he want. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. And that word allotted to me means food suitable or fitting for me. Why? Well, 
now we can understand why Solomon would say, don't give me poverty. And we can surely understand that. But he said this, don't give me poverty, this extreme over here. Now, Solomon knew what it was to have fabulous riches. So he said this also, don't give me riches, this other extreme over here. He knew what it was like to have great riches, but he understood there was a danger. And so the goal is certainly not to be poor, nor is the goal to be rich. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Why? Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? He said there's a danger in self-sufficiency with riches. Or if you're poor, on the other hand, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Now, everyone listen. There, there are different temptations for either extreme. For the impoverished individual, uh, that may be the temptation toward dishonesty. For the wealthy individual, it may be a tendency towards self-sufficiency. And both are injurious. And Solomon warns against both of them. Now let's look at letter A here. Wealth engenders in some an arrogant refusal to acknowledge God. It certainly does. Wealth engenders in some an arrogant refusal to acknowledge God. Now listen, our culture is filled with this. Our society today is broken. There is something seriously wrong. We live in a generation that is so materially wealthy and, and, and materially driven uh, that we not only uh, no longer acknowledge the God who graciously provided those things for us, but we've driven him out of many aspects of our public life. We neither need him nor do we want him. And the results of our arrogance are staggering. We've never been more prosperous, but our prosperity has eaten away our soul. We've never had more money. Uh, we've never had more prosperity. And yet we've never had more psychiatrists. We've never had more anger. We've never had more violence. Money is not the answer. But notice also that Solomon did not view poverty as a virtue either. You know, there are some people who think that poverty is an automatic virtue. The book of Proverbs makes it clear that sometimes poverty uh, is the result of laziness. Sometimes there's this inability to work, but sometimes there's an unwillingness to work. Poverty in, its, in and of itself is certainly not a virtue. In some people, poverty will promote dishonesty. There's no virtue in being materially poor. Virtue and character, again, are ultimately matters of the heart, not of the wallet. Well, let's look at letter B. 
Wealth often produces pride. And it does, doesn't it? Wealth often produces pride. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 11. Proverbs 28 and verse 11. We read there, the rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding searches him out. Riches often get a person thinking more of himself than he actually is. Great wealth is not an indication of great wisdom. And wealth frequently, frequently blinds men to their own foolishness. Now understand that. Great wealth does not mean you're wise. Now let's take a short look, like we said, at Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 20. And this is the story of the rich fool. What did the rich fool have to say? Well, the rich fool said, well, I'm, I'm prosperous. So here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my old barns and I'll build up greater barns. And boy, I'll have enough for the rest of my life. And I'll say to my soul, soul, take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Well, what did the Lord say? He said, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. You see, he was a wealthy man, but he was ultimately a fool. Wealth does not necessarily mean one has great wisdom. He may be blinded by his own wealth to his own foolishness. Then let's look at Proverbs 18 and verse 23. Proverbs 18 and verse 23. The poor man uses entreaties, but the rich man answers roughly. But the rich answers roughly. Now, uh, think about that. It's, it's certainly true, right? The poor man, to get what he needs, has to beg and to plead. But the rich man, uh, he, he doesn't depend on anyone. So he can demand things. He answers roughly. In the matter of pride, it's not only self-conceit that comes from this idea that uh, you're a self-made person or you're independent. But it can also be the way in which an individual treats another individual. Well, let's look at number one under letter B. Wealth sometimes results in poor treatment of others. Wealth sometimes results in poor treatment of others. Sometimes wealthy people uh, develop this inflated expectation regarding goods and services. When disappointed, they tend to treat people poorly. And that's what the Bible says. The rich answers roughly. Now, listen again. It's not the problem that somebody has money. It's the fact that they've allowed that money to enter their heart. And based upon that, they have an inflated view of themselves. You know, I've seen some people who, uh, you know, they have a little money to throw around. And they throw their weight around a little bit. And boy, if they're, if they're disappointed with some goods or services, it's just as if the end of the world had come. You know, my wife, Rachel, uh, when we were at university, being part of the dining hall crew, she would often be called upon to wait tables when the president or the, uh, the pastor of the church would have big wigs over for special events like Bible conferences and such. 
And these men would sit up on this elevated platform and eat their meals together. And these are big-name pastors. These were big-name evangelists and conference speakers and the like. And all of them were considerably well-to-do. And as she served them, some of them would not even give her the time of day. It was like to them, she didn't even exist. (laughs) That was until something went wrong, until something wasn't to their liking. And then they would become grumpy and they complained. And I'm sure sometimes they took it out on her. But they did not seem to be appreciative. Now, can I encourage you here? Don't be that individual. Don't take the attitude of, you know, I deserve a higher level of service. When if you read your Bible this morning, uh, you'd have been reminded that, you know what, there's only one thing you deserve. Now, here's where everything, everyone within the sound of my voice is on an equal plane. What we all deserve is hell. It's what we all deserve. You don't deserve a higher level of service. Your money doesn't give you a higher standing. So humble yourself. Now, to be fair, there were some people that Rachel served on that platform who were humble, who were gracious people, who showed Rachel a a high level of respect. They called her by her name. They said, please and thank you. And they showed their appreciation for her service in very tangible ways. And she remembered them for that. She appreciated them for that. Be that kind of individual. Be the kind of individual who treats everyone you come across as, a, as the image bearers of God that they are. Realize that when it comes to our need for the grace of God, we're all equal here. And in doing so, you'll have a much more effective ministry to them. You'll have a better testimony, and you'll glorify your Heavenly Father. Well, let's look at number two. Christians do not have the luxury of of rude behavior. Christians do not have the luxury of rude behavior. Humility teaches us that we've all received far better than we deserve. Isn't that true? We've all received far better than we deserve. Okay, but what happens when it becomes necessary to point out shortcomings or failures, maybe in a business situation or something like that? Well, if that's the case, and you're a Christian, you must always use tact and courtesy. Always use tact and courtesy. It's not wrong to be firm, but it is wrong to be rude. Please keep your Christian testimony. Now listen, if a place disappoints me as a pastor, if I'm disappointed in goods or services somewhere, Well, you know what I'll do? I'll probably just not go back. If I feel like I have to address it, well, maybe I'll talk or I'll maybe write to the manager or something. But most of the time, I'll probably just not be back. 
If I have to complain, listen carefully. If I have to, I will not be rude. I won't do it. Don't ever be rude. Don't ever throw your weight around in that way. Number three, never allow money to make you feel superior to others. Never allow money to make you feel superior to others. If God has blessed you with wealth, his blessing should humble you, not inflate you. And how important that is. Now, I'll say this again. It is not wrong to have money. Some people have worked very hard for what they have. They've been very wise. Some people have been very generous with their money. They've been faithful in giving to the Lord's work. And you know what God has done? God has poured out his blessing upon some people in a financial way. It is the divine blessing of God. And they have taken biblical wisdom and applied it to their finances. They've been generous. They've sown seeds in the, in the harvest field of God. And God has poured out his blessing upon them. And that's a wonderful thing. That's nothing to be criticized. The point is not having money. The problem is not having nice things. It's when those things get into the heart and negatively affect the character. That is where the problem lies. Now think of this. Couldn't the Lord, if we, if we kept our hearts right, couldn't he bless us with some measure of material prosperity? If he could trust us with the money that he gives us, and if we never got it into our heart, wouldn't it be remarkable to see what God could do with that? I mean, this is why Solomon cautioned us. He was fabulously wealthy, but he said there were some pitfalls with wealth, with material possessions. And if we ever want to know the blessing of God, we need to avoid these pitfalls. You know, there's nothing wrong with a church like ours having good offerings that support the Lord's work. There's nothing wrong with having the money to buy a home. And working hard and being careful with your money and investing it wisely. There's nothing wrong with that. But just don't let it get into your heart. Because when it does, it will lead you down a path from which there is very little possibility of returning. When money gets into our hearts, it's very hard to get it out. Let's handle our money with caution. Let's keep God first in everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, it's very clear. It's direct and it stings sometimes. But it's exactly what we need. Keep us as a church from ever becoming enamored by worldliness. 
I pray that you would keep us having an eternal vision of furthering your kingdom and reaching lost souls with your gospel. Lord, we live in a society today that is sadly broken and hurting and bleeding. And let us not become so busy with impressing ourselves with all of our finery that we forget about the desperate cry of people around us. Lord, we have the only answer, and that answer is Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to keep our hearts right, to keep our direction right, to keep our thinking right. And Father, I pray that you would bless us and prosper us as we obey the word of God. And help us to be cautious as we use everything for your service and for your glory. Thank you for your love, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.